two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. That's, though as for the, that the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference. All the eighth graders in the room are going, oh, I had to study that all year and you read it again? My goodness, uh, the road not taken, Robert Frost. I know, you know, poetry is not probably one of the most popular forms of literature out there, but if you had one poem that most would be able to pull up or call up, it arguably, arguably would be uh, Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken. It was originally published in 1915 in the Atlantic Magazine. Um, and it's an apt introduction to our text in James today because James literally invites us to consider two paths that diverge. Uh, I'm just gonna jump into the, the topic itself and you know what's coming because um, it was just read, but it's two roads, the way of worldly wisdom and then the way of godly wisdom. We've got a screenshot we're gonna put up just to visually remind us of this today and you see these roads diverge in a yellow wood. We're gonna look closely at each one uh, I could summarize it this way, just to make it simple. Uh, quite frankly, in life, there is my way and there is God's way. That's, that's it, plain and simple. We'll throw those words up there as well. And we're just gonna keep that in front of us. And, and, and life itself, honestly, can be boiled down <laughs> into uh, these choices that we make. Will I, will I take my way or will I take God's way? And uh, true to the, the poem from Frost, honestly, I, I think it's almost an understatement to say the path you choose makes all the difference. It's a lot more weight to James's words, quite frankly, about these ways than even Robert Frost in his poem. Now, James is gonna begin with a contrast. So, so here's how we're gonna break out this passage from 13 to 18, James chapter three. If you're not there, go ahead and get there in your Bible as we continue through this book. Uh, we're gonna look at the contrast between uh, my way and God's way. That's verses 14 or 13 and 14. And then we're gonna look at the, the two ways. And the first one we actually look at is wisdom from below. Wisdom from below, that's gonna be 15 and 16, and then wisdom from above. So, so there's gonna be a contrast. We're gonna start there, the contrast of the two. And then we're gonna look at wisdom from below, middle section, and then we're gonna wrap up with 
wisdom from above. So we'll reread the text as we study it this morning. Look at verses 13 and 14. James writes, and he says, who among you is wise and understanding? Now he doesn't give, obviously in, the, in this letter, he doesn't give time to answer, but, but literally don't, don't respond, okay? <laughs> don't respond. But I want you to feel the weight of him speaking to these churches, even as he'd speak to us. And if, if the Lord Jesus himself stood here this morning and just said, who among you is wise and understanding? You know, how, how would you respond? Would you raise your hand? Would you shrink back? Who among us is wise and understanding? James goes on and says, let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Um, It's interesting to note when James says, who among you is wise and understanding, uh, he, he doesn't ask for, he doesn't encourage, he's not looking for a response of, this is what I know, this is how much I know, this is what I've learned. He just says, show me. Uh, show me by your good behavior in the gentleness of wisdom. And is this not so apropos for James? Think about the book. Remember, it's, you know, it's not the profession, it's, it's the life. What choices are you making in life? When it comes to wisdom, it's never ever about uh, knowledge you know, in the sense of intellectual knowledge. It's always about um, show me your bruises from living a righteous life, so to speak, or show me the choices that you're making in life. To the Hebrew mind, uh, this, is, this is exactly how they thought. Uh, to the Greek mind, um, to, to understanding and knowledge was about, you know, you made good grades, so to speak. But to the Hebrew, you see, this is why when we read our Bibles, it's so experiential. It, it's what's going on in your body and in your life, you see, that, that marks you as one who is wise. Rob defined wisdom as several weeks back, but he said it's living life the way God designed life to be lived. It's a great definition, living life the way God designed life to be lived. That, that's wisdom. You guys have heard the phrase, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's skill in biblical living. You know, it's, it's, th- what, it's taking what the Bible says and then living it out skillfully in our lives. So, so wisdom is about a lifestyle, rather than intellect. Of all the things James could have framed this with, I think it's very interesting that he says, show by his good behavior, which is show by your lifestyle. And he uses this word, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Now, I I just find that fascinating in that he chose under the power of the spirit, gentleness. It's a bit, you know, you might think, I don't know. I would have thought he might've said, show it by the, power you have. Show it by the way you use your strength. Or, but he speaks of gentleness, the gentleness of wisdom. You, uh, you know, it, 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 in our day, when we speak of gentleness, some of you probably have a translation that says meekness. You know, you, you really do kind of can, can think, you know, that it's meek and mild like a child, and it's kind of just 
shy, reserved. You don't want to make a stink. You don't want to raise your voice ever or anything. And yet we know, and, and we know that Jesus himself is, is the meekest man who ever lived, gentle. And I think about when he entered the temple and it was full of money changers, business. You know, they're doing, they're doing business in there when the, it was made to be prayed in. And you know the story. He goes in and he, he literally, the, you know, it's a one-man wrecking crew, if you think about it, against the most powerful institution in, in uh, Jewish culture, the religious leaders. And he's turning over tables. I mean, he really did. It, you know, he turned over a table. And he said, you guys get out of here, you know, physically. I, you know, it's hard for me to imagine that someone didn't just grab him or a bunch of them grab him and just go, get that guy out of here. There's one against 30. Mm-mm. Jesus removed them from the temple and Jesus was never not gentle. And so here's a picture. Even the Greek, the Greek minds understood this, that, 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 or, that, uh, or the Greek language, gentleness would be like a, a horse under control. I mean, again, really a horse. I mean, the power, but under control. And so Jesus in gentleness, we could say, Cleanse the temple. And they use that example really to remind us that, you know, gentleness isn't even about um, uh, not avoiding conflict or, you know, or not, not having some battles, so to speak. Because we can't go through life without those. But it's how we engage those battles. So he's gonna say, we're gonna get more depth in this, but he says, here's, Here's godly wisdom, but if you have, he's gonna go to worldly wisdom. But if you have jealous, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, look, don't be arrogant and lie against the truth. So here's two marks of, if gentleness marks godly wisdom, then bitter jealousy and selfish ambition mark worldly wisdom. Um, You'll begin, James started the message or started his letter addressing teachers and so again, we wanna see in the context, so it's likely that when he says this and he talks about you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, the context you all remember is to these small church settings and, and he was addressing teachers right at the beginning you know, of, of, of this section. So he's probably addressing teachers who were in these house churches who didn't like what was being taught, uh, felt like they had something more to say or something better to say. They started saying it. Uh, they started recruiting people around them to their side. It, it's not unlike even today, you have a meeting and the meeting kind of doesn't go well. And then there are the meetings after the meeting. So as you're walking back to your office after the meeting, you're talking to someone going, I, I can't believe what they said. Can you know? Look, this is what it means. To, and, and that's going on in the church in our church, <laughs> in every church. Mm, that stuff is not good. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in the heart. Remember Rob and I encouraged you, once we start talking about heart, if you'll read your Bible carefully, it's like you can't read a page without seeing the heart. And that's where it's lodged. It's lodged in the core of who you are, mind, emotions, desires, choices, the heart, the control center of your life. Bitter jealousy, 
selfish ambition. It's a heart issue and a heart problem. And as we get to the end of our time this morning, we're, as always do, we're gonna, we're gonna go, what, where do we go to the heart on this? Not just say, stop it, stop it. You know, you, you, we can't do that behavior modification. We all need heart changing. Quick comment on this last phrase, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. I want you to think about this. Let me phrase it this way. He's saying, don't be so arrogant to think that, that you don't do this. And what he's talking about is self-deception. You know, because you you know, even the te- as he spoke to those teachers, I'm sure the teachers that were you know, rising up and creating dissension would, would go, I mean, not me. I mean, maybe that guy's doing it. I mean, I'm just having conversations. No, I'm, I'm actually, I'm trying to help us here. You know, yeah, I think they're, you know, it's like, look, don't be arrogant. Don't, don't, don't think that you are beyond this. You're beyond comparison, jealousy, envy. No, it's, it's in all of us to some degree. You know, Jesus constantly told his disciples, you know, You need to die to live. You need to let go to, to get. He just stayed on his disciples around this. And, and the reason is because it's the truth. And what happens between worldly wisdom or worldly wisdom and heavenly wisdom is, is we get deceived. And worldly wisdom, y'all, it looks like the right way. You know, you know what I'm saying? If, if, if worldly wisdom was just so pathetic that we would all go, no, we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be challenged here. But I'm telling you, worldly wisdom often, well, almost always has the guise of something good and honestly beautiful and looks sweet. Proverbs, remember James is, is like the Proverbs of the New Testament. This proverb certainly comes to mind. Uh, and every, every time I've read this proverb, I've always thought about, um, I always try and go, well, where in life is this true? And it's interesting that several commentators put this proverb related to this passage, Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There's a way from below that seems right to a man, but its end is death. Worldly wisdom looks like the fruit that Adam and Eve ate in the garden. They didn't eat that thing, y'all, because it was full of worms. They didn't eat it because it was gross, right? It looked like what to them? It looked like life. I mean, it looked like this is it. But what was their choice? Think about this. What was their choice? When they literally went to the tree, what choice did they make? Do you say it out loud? I'm just, yeah, you know, nothing's new under the sun. (laughs) And we still, we still have that flesh, right? In us, it's gonna choose my way. Okay, now he's gonna describe my way, or I'll, I'll call it wisdom from below, <laughs> in a little more detail. Look at 15, 16. 
This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there is disorder and every evil thing. That's ugly. <laughs> That's pretty dark, really, when, we, when you think about it. It says it doesn't come from above. You know, it's, again, we're gonna get to the godly wisdom in a moment, but this comes from the earth. He says it's earthly, natural, demonic. And, and I want you to notice, James writes this, there's almost a stair step of depravity. You know, he starts here, it's earthly, it's natural, it's demonic. You know, he, he stair steps us down into the darkness of this. Earthly, it, it's the idea, you know, our, our three great enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. So the world is the world system apart from God. Culture, you know, uh, the, the world itself and all it espouses, that, that's earthly. Make sense? So, so, so the, the kind of wisdom that takes us down is of the earth. It's of the world. It's earthly. It's natural, i.e. there is no spirit, capital S, in that wisdom. It, it, it's, you could read in your, uh, in your margins if you've got a certain Bible that does it. It's unspiritual, has no spirit life in it. And finally, I mean, he reaches to the bottom and says it's demonic. You remember when we were talking about the tongue, you guys? And ultimately we said the tongue's connected to your heart, but in our fallenness, when we're speaking harm with our tongue, it's coming from hell, that's what he said. And now he says, and when you're living by worldly wisdom, it's demonic, does it mean you're demon possessed? No, don't go there, don't go there. It's not saying that. It's saying that when we are choosing my, our way of life, that it's, we're really moving uh, the devil's agenda forward. That's what it's saying. It, it, it's, we're, we're helping the, the bad guys, so to speak. We're on, we're on Satan's agenda as we do that. It's demonic. It's straight out of hell, as we talked about, we spoke about the tongue. You know, when you see, you know, we talked then about the tongue about this, so I won't spend much time on it, but, but source really matters. We gotta always go back to the source. You know, sometimes we think, don't do that because it's bad. Well, yeah, but let's go all the way down where it's badness comes from. So you gotta get all the way to the source. If you see a pipe and it's dripping water and you're dying of thirst and you look to the right and the pipe goes into a septic tank, Do you even touch, I mean, you don't even touch it. Why? Because you know where it's coming from. You know, it's the same idea here. Again, these paths are as old as the garden, aren't they? Where Adam and Eve had a path in front of them. They chose a path. They walked the path and we walk in it. Now let's talk about wisdom from above. Verses 17 and 18. But wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Wisdom from 
above. What, you know, what does he mean wisdom? You know, if they weren't, they weren't going, what do you mean wisdom from above? Because he's already mentioned it back in chapter one, verse 17, when he said, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So when we say it's from above, it's from God. God gives heavenly, godly, biblical wisdom. Now, I'm just gonna read through these very slowly. And uh, I want us to, to, uh, to think application here. And so I, wanna, I want you to put yourself in the, the environment that you, you can pick an environment. Pick, okay, I'm gonna think about this at work. You might go, I'm gonna think about this at home. I'm gonna think about this as I'm coaching or teaching. Put, put yourself in an environment where you're interacting with others and then we're gonna let the, 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 the wisdom from above kind of uh, fil- filter over us, if you will. It, 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 almost like a, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna use, I don't want you to be thinking like performance. I gotta perform this way, but what are my actions? What are, what's my lifestyle like in this particular setting? Here's what James is gonna say are the characteristics of godly wisdom. He says, it's first of all, pure. Morally blameless. Douglas Moo describes it this way, that purity is the umbrella characteristic of godly wisdom. And everything else we're gonna see, the next six fit under that banner, that, that, that mark of purity. And purity is morally right. Peaceable. No one in here enjoys conflict and, and peaceable is not, look, I'm, I'm pretty low key. I don't, we never fight. I don't fight with people. That's not peaceable. That's not what he's describing when he says peaceable. Um, the, the peaceableness in, in, in us um, is actually someone who engages conflict, who engages difficulties, but does so biblically. So it's not just smooth sailing. I don't ruffle, ruffle feathers. I mean, Jesus ruffled feathers. And clearly these are marks of the character of Christ, peaceableness. Kent Hughes writes this. This may help us a bit. It says, if, if peaceableness is, is, a, is a mark of our character, it means we make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace, Ephesians 4. And we make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification, Romans 14, 19. And we live out Paul's injunction. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Gentle, pure, peaceable, gentle. Here's a picture, here's a word picture I'm gonna give you. To be gentle is to lay down the gavel. Okay, I want you to think about that when you think about gentle. It's to lay down the gavel. Because the idea on, on this, this gentle here is that we're, we're willing to not, um, not be the one that says, that's wrong, you know, I've made a judgment on that, that's wrong, that, no, it's to, I'll keep this still, it's to lay down the gavel, it's to put it down. 
I often have the hardest time laying down the gavel when I'm spending money and I get poor service. The things I could say or do totally embarrass my kids, you know, when I'm going, no, I'm gonna go back and get this. Don't do that. (laughs) Just eat it, you know. And just silly things, but you know, I'm just gonna get my way. I'm gonna make this right because I just spent some money and not a measure of gentle in that. Uh, Reasonable, pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable. it's It's the idea, not that you can reason, but that you are willing to be reasoned with such that you don't have to be right. Open to correction, open to being wrong, reasonable. You know, don't raise your hand, but how many of us often find ourselves in places where people may stop engaging with us because we're not reasonable and they've just decided it's not worth it. It's just not worth talking to you about this. Pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable. Then he gives two full ofs, full of mercy and good fruits. Full, uh, overflowing with, with, with mercy. Uh, it's how, how people, it originally was how people feel towards innocent victims, okay? Do you have mercy toward innocent victims? But in the Christian context, in James' context, it's do you have mercy for people who brought, brought it on themselves, Or do you have a bent that says, that's called stupid? I don't get engaged with stupid. You you know what I'm I'm saying? That's that's not mercy. That's not mercy. Where would we be if Jesus looked upon us and said, that's just a bunch of knuckleheads. They did that. They deserve that. I told them if they do that, they did recreate this. But Jesus never comes to us and says, I told you. You know what I'm saying? full of mercy and good fruits, i.e. that these things are so embedded in us that it produces that which feeds others. We're fruitful. We're beneficial to other people. Unwavering, Think about convictions on this one because there's, there are places, I always think about this word picture, you drive a stake in the ground. How many stakes do you have driven in? Appropriate stakes, appropriate stakes. Driven in, you're not budging. I'm not budging on this. See, there's that part where we go, like previously where I said, you know, you're set on something, I'm right, I'm not gonna budge on this. Uh, that's one thing, and there's times when you're not right, you're wrong, but where you have a biblical conviction, okay, are you unwavering? Are you unwavering, though it costs you your job, costs you your friendships, costs you relationships, cost, are you unwavering? Now, I will say this for my life personally, the older I get, the fewer stakes I have in the ground. 
So just, a, just as a general statement, you know, if you've got a lot, um, you, you might ponder if some of those <laughs> you need to be reasonable around. But as you get older and go through life, the ones that you have become more and more unshakable. And they become the ones that you'll be on your deathbed going, no. They're the ones that you'll stand before people and as Daniel and his friends said, though he slay us, though God take me, I will not. Because they got a conviction. Unwavering. Finally, without hypocrisy. This is probably the more easier one for us. It's without mask. Remove the mask. I'm no longer gonna pretend to be something I'm not. I mean, this is all the way back to faith and works. This is all the way back to James has been talking to us the whole time. I'm not gonna say one thing and then do another. I'm not gonna act like I I have godly wisdom when I've got really worldly wisdom. I'm not gonna act like I'm on this path when the truth is I'm on this one, but I'm hiding it from you without hypocrisy. Now, now, I want you again, go back to where you live, work, play, work environment, relationships, whatever. Are you pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy? Now, when we're living and having chosen God's way in life, you see that last phrase, um, it, me, it means that we live in such a way, think about this, you can think about it this way. If you live in this way and you're fruitful, then you see the fruit of righteousness that comes from your life blesses and brings peace to others. So your, your life is productive in the, in the best of ways. In fact, it's productive eternally. Now, you may be saying, Lloyd, um, I was thinking about that, you know, (laughs) and you go, okay, peaceable, John. Oh, I'm not that. Mm, I'm not that. (laughs) Mm, I'm not that. And and I would would say to you, uh, well, of course. We're not, are we? I mean, maybe sometimes, but we're, we're, we're not always by any means. And what I wanna take us to in this passage and how we'll conclude here in a moment is to remind us that you cannot will this behavior, okay? So, so we're not gonna leave here in a moment with, with, with me saying to you, so now you see, okay? You understand God's way? Mm-hmm, got it. You understand the, my way? Mm-hmm, got it, okay. Well, 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 live God's way, then do, you know, then quit lying, stealing, cheating. You know, it's like, we're not gonna do that because you can't. You cannot. Only one person has ever chosen God's way and done it perfectly. And it's Jesus. And he did it for us. And it's why the gospel is our great hope. 
The gospel is our great hope because our deepest problem is our heart. <laughs> Not just our hands and our feet doing things, it's our heart. And therefore, even as when we were in the passage on, on the tongues, I reminded you, it all starts at salvation. Well, we're always gonna be coming back to the gospel and salvation in the sense that that's our only hope that our hearts would be and could be changed. I'm gonna give you two words that will help us here. Okay, so it's, okay, Lloyd, then what do, we, you know, what do I do? What do we do uh, in order to walk this path? Well, uh, I will say it this way. James says in chapter one, verse five, I'll just read it to you. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So there's the first, there's the first thing. You know, you're, you're living your life. I want you to know this pathway, by the way, it, it, it's like it, what really ought to be up there is a slide ought to be going ching 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 because all through your day today, you're gonna go, God's way, my way. God's way, my way. God's way, my way. And, and so... When, you, when we understand this is, a way, this is a way of life, we go, God's way, my way. God, give me wisdom. You ask, we ask. We ask for wisdom. God, show me, guide me, lead me. And the second thing we do is what Jesus reminded us in John 15. Remember he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Remember he used this phrase and he said, abide in me. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. That is this, we abide, we rest in, we trust in Jesus who saved us. Now, let me make this very practical in the sense of where we've talked about the Christian life and sanctification. It's, 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 the, it's the steps of faith wherein we have God's way, my way, and we say, God, give me wisdom. Well, just the very fact that we've asked God is an indication we, we're, we can't do it and we're dependent. We're spirit dependent. God, show me. And Jesus says, abide in me. And when you abide in me, you know, I will produce that fruit in you. Y'all, when we hear those words, abide in me, we always wanna remember that the Holy Spirit lives in us and therefore to abide in Christ is to rest in who Christ is and to recognize that the Spirit lives in us and we're dependent on the Spirit who lives in us, the Holy Spirit of God, to change our hearts, to reproduce the life of Christ in us, to enable us to choose God's way. Ask and abide. God's way, my way, ask and then abide. God's way, my way, ask and abide. There's another way to consider and think about the Christian life. Ask and abide. I'm gonna summarize this. Let's throw the last slide up just to have this in front of us as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. What a wonderful place to end this service. If you choose my way, then you have what's on the left and you have disorder. Now think about this. Yes, if the ushers would go ahead and, and, and get ready and if the band would come back out, please. But think about, think about this choice on my way. It brings disorder. I'm becoming more and more convinced that that word division, that, that really gets at the heart of sin. Division, which brings disorder. And I'm convinced of that because the fall brought such division. The heart, right? Our thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices, that, that control center of life, it, it's, it disintegrated, it was divided. In the fall, we're divided, separated from God. In the fall, we're divided from each other. In the fall, we're divided from creation. That division, we were not made for divisiveness. 
It's not what we're made for. We choose our way. You know, I got this figured out. I think I have a better way. Then we, we move into divisiveness and that's called death. I mean, I could write death over that whole left side. We choose God's way, ask for wisdom and abide. Peace, how about that? Peace. And when you and I think about the deepest longings of our heart, and there, there are several, but there's not, they're almost like they're not unlimited. There is, ah, gosh, James, he ends this passage saying it twice. It's interesting. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace and those who, by those who make peace. What, what is peace? Again, not the absence of conflict. Peace goes so much deeper. Peace is, this is how it ought to be. Peace is undivided. Peace is whole, <laughs> whole, complete peace. This, this is choosing God's way. 